Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about choosing your growth path. I, you know, I, I feel like I always say this, but I'm really excited about this. It's so <laughs> strategic, but it drives every tactical decision that you make. So it's my kind of conversation. Cool. So this, uh, this was a conversation that came in or a question that came in? Yeah, it was an email back and forth from a listener. And the core question was, how can I 10x my business from about 300,000 to about 3 million? And, you know, not in, you know, six months over the course of time. Like, what's the best way to do that? And um, should I do it? Like, should I grow that myself? Or should I build a firm with employees that I could sell for like 3 million? So the goal was basically to have this pot of money at the end, whenever the end was, 10 years, 15 years. And so like the question was, what's the best way to do that? Mm. And so I kind of took that as a, oh, well, let's talk about the three business models when you're selling expertise. And so let's just look at each of the three of those and see like which one fits you. Because I, I totally got where he was going with this. It's like, gee, if I build a firm with employees, um, I can sell it. And so I can have this saleable asset. So it's not just how much do I earn in a year, but I'm building this asset that I can sell down the road. Mm-hmm. And um, that can be really tempting, uh, but it doesn't always work. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So how, how would you break down the three different models? Like I've, I've got a picture of a few in my head. Yeah. So I, I was thinking solo with no leverage right? You're just selling your your services solo with leverage. And the leverage could be contractors or it could be products or some mix of the two. And then the third one would be a firm with employees. So obviously not solo. Okay. What do you think? Is that how you think about it? um, When you say no leverage, you mean literally none. You don't mean just no employees. Yes, that's correct. So you don't have a book. You're not selling product. You're just selling you. Okay, so you're just sort of what is that? I know that look you're, like? you're trying like, to imagine that? that. Yeah, well, that's so, just speaking so, and consulting, right? It's, yeah, or yeah. maybe coaching, depending on what you're doing. But yeah, it's I, I see it sort of in two ways. One is this is where people usually start, right? Because they'll start like kind of in the freelance space, and then they'll work into you know really pitching themselves as a consultant. But True. the other end of this, which I see more often than than you might expect is people who are very high-end B2B consultants, like people in the tech space, uh, healthcare, um, there's some in banking. There's certain kinds of industries and certain kinds of expertise where when you combine them in the right ways, you can actually build a million dollar plus business with no leverage. I'm not going to say it's easy. I'm not even going to say it's the lifestyle people want. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely a way to build a, a business, not a saleable business, but a business. Right. And the, the, I'm getting a little bit hung up on the no leverage thing because, uh, because it feels ill-defined in the context, but I, I get what you're saying. You're, it's sort of like this, the smallest version of a company of one where you, I mean, yes, I have encountered some people, they all have books though. I'm trying to think of someone that has no book that does high ticket consulting well yeah okay yeah i can think of some people okay so this so yes yeah but but it's not it's not 
exactly a unicorn, but it's pretty close. To do that and, and hit a million is is fairly unicornish. And the people, yes, and the people I'm thinking of, I guess I would say they do have some leverage because they do not bill by the hour. Oh, see, I don't call that leverage. Okay. See that? Uh, oh, this is good. This is good having this discussion. So to me, leverage is products or people. Okay. But but the people that I'm talking about that are in that space that have hit a million plus, I mean, they're not charging based on the hour. They're right. they're definitely charging based on the value they're delivering, which is high. Right. Okay. All yeah. right. Now I'm on. Now I'm 100 on the same page now. Okay. All right. Yes, good. and I definitely do know a few of these people. They are very rare. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you yeah. can't sell it. It's like, it's the no. person. No, it's absolutely the person. And usually those are the people who write a book, right? The, their first leverage for somebody like that is often a book because mm-hmm. the book is the calling card. The book can get them speeches if they want to go on that road. It can get them more visibility, uh, maybe on industry podcasts. Um, it gives them a lot more opportunities to meet potential clients who are going to pay their really high fees. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Yeah, so that's that. That's that. That's where I see a, uh, I, I see a bump up in the number of people I can think of as soon as you add book to the equation. Right, which yep. to me is the next one, right? Yeah, okay. Because a book is leverage. And, you know, and something as simple as a book, I say as simple in terms of, you know, where it fits on your product ladder, it's not simple in terms of what it takes to produce and, and, you know, um, birth the book. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, but it doesn't, it could be just a book, just Mm -hmm. a book, Um, or it could be lots of things. It could be like what you're doing with um, various kinds of programs and leverage. I mean, you're doing it all without any employees. Right. Um, but you're, you're leveraging through products. Right. So, uh, yes. And that, I think that path is not necessarily, I know that path is not necessarily mutually exclusive with the employee concept. It's just a way to, like, you could have it, the, the top level that we're getting to, you could have a firm that has products and so forth. But, um, but yes, you could create, you know, info products and training and group, uh, group programs things like mm-hmm. that where you're creating leverage like to me anything that increases the output or sorry increases the well outcome it's like input force output force so if anything mm-hmm. that magnifies the output force so we're talking about money and you're creating more value and therefore can capture more of it with higher prices to me anything that allows you to do more with less is leverage whether that's your pricing model or anything so um but yes, I think I know, uh, I can think of, you know, step function, bigger number of people who have this sort of expertise, authority-based business that started out as consulting or coaching and grew into programs and courses and books and are easily hitting a million. Yeah, so it's, it's, way, it's a lot bigger number of people. Yeah, and there's another side of that too, which is people who use contractors but not employees. Sure. And- for me, the distinction is that employees, you definitely have to nurture, you have to mentor them, you have to grow them, you have to make sure they're happy. Contractors, yeah, you do some of that, but to a lesser extent, mm-hmm. right? Contractors are usually contractors because they don't want to be employees. They have their own business. And really, it's just finding a way to work effectively with them, usually. 
So you can you can do that and you can grow with contractors in a more what I think of as a more traditional consultative slash agency kind of business. Mm. Right. So if you're a if you're a brand strategist, you could work with uh, designers as an example, you could have them on contract and you don't want just one because you don't want all of your designs to look the same. So maybe you have two or three that you use here and there. I mean, that would be an example. Another uh, kind of business I've seen with this is um, PR and marketing agencies. You'll see that quite a lot. Um, Really anything where you're doing a piece of it. Sometimes strategists like to have some implementation capabilities, even though they don't want to do it themselves. Right. So they may have contractors, they may do, you know, a combined proposal. So there's some ways that you can you can build a firm faster than you could, you know, just by yourself, by having right. people leverage without employees. Right. So I I, I I think so. So let's talk about some characteristics of this model and some different versions of it because I think it's pretty popular. Um, they, as I hear some people think, you know, that if they're in a particular space, they'll call it like a virtual agency. You know, if they do like mm-hmm. designer development work, a lot of times you'll hear that term. And there's a, I think in those models, it's an example of hiring, I might not say minimies, like I've said in the past, but, but people who are doing client-facing work where it's Mm -hmm. not like you've got a staff behind you who's organizing your calendar and setting appointments and flight arrangements and you know back office kind of VAs and and contractors and help like that these are client-facing people or at least they're creating deliverables for the client and to me that's a big split between those two those two approaches Yes, because it changes how you market yourself to the external world as well as how you're managing the 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 operation that you've built yeah exactly so so it's going to look a lot different inside and out if you Mm -hmm. are still the face of the company and doing all of the client facing stuff and you've got a team of contractors or even employees but let's just say contractors behind the scenes you know the sort of ducks legs paddling wildly under the surface uh to make all of it happen you know assist with not not assist with the delivery but make it so that you can just do the thing that you're the best at and you just stay in your genius zone there. And, and, but nobody, you know, but nobody else in the company really is, is dealing with clients on engagements or really probably many other parts of the process. I don't see that as often as I see people who are like, they go that this path where they're like a software developer and they are, they, they, I almost said are really good. But what I, what I really mean is they satisfy their clients reliably they get a lot of repeat business and they've got too much demand. And instead of just saying no to work, which is one option, or increasing your pricing, which is another option, they say, I'm going to take all this work. I can't do it myself, especially if they build by the hour. They're like, I, I really want to take all this work. I want this, but I don't have a big enough inventory of hours. So they go out and and buy some inventory of hours by hiring um, contractors almost definitely at first. Yeah. So, right. And so now they kind of scale up their hands. And this is the this is the big difference at this stage. I think that if you're going to scale up your hands and sell a larger, you know, amass a larger quantity of hours to sell and and go that route, that's a really big. That's very popular, mm-hmm. um, and yep. it's not my favorite. <laughs> so, um, well, is, yeah, so it, it depends on it depends on because the the question the way the question original question was phrased is you know what's the best way for me to make money. 
right? But there's, it's always more than making money. It's also how much do you keep? It's just how much do you yeah. make? How much do you keep? And when you have employees, you're going to keep less and you've got to charge enough more, uh, charge more. What, how do I say this? You need to charge enough so that your net is better than it would have been if you were by yourself. Because otherwise you're spending all this time and energy on something that's not delivering you anything to the bottom line. Right. And the, the trap that I see so many people in at this virtual agency level where they're just selling hours is that they're like, they're, they're so used to all the money being theirs that they forget that they have to pay the contractors. I know that sounds stupid <laughs> to say out loud, but they're used to looking at revenue as more or less synonymous with income. And yeah. and then they're like, oh, I'm going to do a million this year. Great. But I, you know, I could do a million this year if I if I took on all these projects, but I can't do all these projects. So I'm going to hire four contractors to work part time. And and now I'm going to finally break a million. And it's like, yeah, but you just, you know, you maybe you doubled your income, but you quadrupled your costs or, or more than doubled yeah. your costs. So it's yeah. like pointless. There's it's, almost. It, it reminds me of the real estate business where people like brag about how many doors they have. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter how many doors you have. What matters is how much money are you making? Yeah. Like right. what's on the other side? What's, right. what's yeah, what what revenue is that delivering? So, yeah, and it, it can get, I mean, there's, you know, and I've, I've, this has happened to me, you know, when I had my business, it was like my ego was attached to that revenue number, right? right? So whatever I did that year, I was like, yeah, we did this much more this year. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, it's an ego measure if it's not delivering exactly what you want to your bottom line. Yeah. So I, I see the, what, what do you think? I have never thought about this that hard because I just don't like that model. So I don't think about it, but it could make sense. It probably does make sense as a phase into, uh, you know, W2s, you know, like, or do you think that it's just a fundamentally different beast and you should start um, with, you know what I mean? Like, should, yeah, should like, you start with contractors to move to employees or just start with employees start if with that's one your of, goal? Yeah, like what's the, right, because, well, actually, before we get to that, is there any more, any more that we could say about the kind of... Um, solo authority with support staff or is that kind of obvious what that entails you know what I mean well, I like, think I yeah I think that the people we're talking about in this second category we have people like um the consultant speaker um author is in this space right and they've got some kind of backroom support maybe maybe they don't um, but yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on how you like to work. I mean, you may be the person who wants those people in your back room and the only interaction they have with a client is maybe scheduling a meeting versus like I've done this myself in the last, you know, 15 years is I, I at a couple different times I had writers and I put them on my website because I couldn't do all of it myself. And so I had some contract writers. Um, so yeah, I just, I think it's the, the important thing is to think through two aspects of this, especially in the second one. And the first aspect is what will this do to my revenue and or not even my revenue, my bottom line, like how much money am I going to keep and what is the risk with that money? I.e., how have I structured my deals with my contractors? So if this client project goes south, am I on the hook for money that I can't collect. So, you know, get really clear about that. And then the other piece is, how do you work the best? 
And not everybody is cut out to front other people in their business, right? It's just a different exercise than working on your own. And it can be really fun. I mean, I've done it and it's really exciting when you see you're able to attract really good people and then together you do these fantastic assignments that have huge transformations. Um, But there's the other side of it too, which is when things aren't working and you're the one that needs to step in and and make it right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that comes down to like how you want to spend your day, I think, you know, it's like if you're going to, yeah. well, what we're still talking about with contractors though. So, so yep. virtual, virtual agency, uh, I know some folks are just great at, I, I think delegation is actually a, a skill that you can improve. And I know some folks who are just master delegators. They have, they have no, they'd much rather delegate something than do it, which is, which uh, I know a lot of people aren't like that. So when I come across someone like that and they, you know, I'm, I'm less, concern for them or I perceive less risk when they're outsourcing lots of things. Um, at the, the other, I don't, I almost, I feel like we need a name for these two halves. There's like two halves here where you've got the support staff back office and you've got the front office support, like the front mm-hmm. office contractors for the, for the back office contractors. If you're, if you're kind of this, you know, author, speaker, consultant or coach or whatever your service category is and you have back office, it could, it could, uh, they could help you with production of lots of things like, you know, beyond what you, you know, writing for the site, you know, blogging, making sure, you know, I don't know, making sure your SEO is not screwed up or fixing stuff on your mailing list. So all of that real, real invisible to the outside world stuff. Uh, but I do have, a, I have plenty of experience with people who will use contractors to help them design and build programs or courses or workshops so that they can add, you know, so they, the, the, they're not client facing, but they're creating stuff or ex, you know, doing the implementation for things that will be at least customer facing in this case. So it feels like a distinction there that feels like, it feels like a, a slight, slight addition to the category where you're using a team of people to help you produce new income streams, new lines of business that are more highly leveraged either info products that, you know, sell while you sleep or, you know, like I do cohort based workshops there is, I definitely could have used someone to help me do that. If I couldn't automate it, I would probably have to hire someone to do that if I wanted to increase the volume. Um, but there's the, the different ways that you can use contractors in your business. I, I think some of the different choices you would make are, uh, pretty, they're, pretty big distinctions, almost I'm hesitating to say business model distinctions, but it's pretty close to that. Because if you're, if you've got, uh, if you've got virtual agency and you're selling a whole bunch of people's hours, the, your pro, if I was going to bet on your prospects for, you know, hockey stick profit growth, I wouldn't see it. Like it's not there. I don't, I don't know how that would happen because it's a linear scale. Like you have to, the more hours you want to sell, the more people you need to have. It doesn't, at no point, are you going to like have a big launch and like, whoa, we just made $2 million in one launch. Right, right. So, it's, a, it's a gradual and it goes with people. You can't get there without hiring more people. Right, yeah. It's And the more people me, you hire, the yeah. more people you need to hire to manage the people that exactly. you hired. I, I could even argue that that's lower leverage than being by yourself because the profit goes down. <laughs> it, well, it, yeah, it can be. I mean, it depends. It, 
Yeah, it depends on the person, the leader, right, and the system that they've put in. And it tends to be easier with contractors if you've hired people who know what they're doing, right, and want that contractor status so that they're reliable, so you're not constantly, you know, replacing people. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have students who, I have one guy in particular that that uh, he has an entire process for finding, vetting, onboarding, and managing developers from Upwork that, you know, are in Pakistan or whatever. And, and he's, he has such a, a powerful structure built around it that they only have to be pretty good and they can deliver outstanding results. And the whole, it's amazing. It's, it's really cool. It's like a, it's like a machine. He has a system. Yeah, yeah that's, system. that's the point. He's got a system. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm sure it took him a while to put it together, yes. but he paid attention to it. Mm-hmm. And now he's got a system that he can work. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So, Okay, so um, what's the path? So the path from here, uh, this is to loop back to the question. If we are going to move on to the firm with actual employees like 1090, uh, sorry, W2 employees, and you really want to grow that, probably both paths work. But what do you think in terms of difficulty from going, like, let's say, let's say you're, you're, at the bottom end of the scale, you're just solo, you have no employees or contractors or anything. And you're like, I do want to grow the firm. Is it is the path start with one employee and then another employee and another employee, or is the path build up to five or ten contractors and then start replacing them with employees? Uh, consultants answer it depends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I did when I did my firm is I started with a couple of employees um, because I had a vision and I needed people right away. To have them. Um, but I also started looking for contractors because my strategy was I had core services and anybody that delivered a core service was an employee. And then I had these non-core services that were still important and they were easy to sell as add-ons or oh, by the ways. And I, but I, I didn't have enough work to keep them busy. So those were contractors. So you can go in, you know, with a very specific idea in mind. I also talked to somebody recently who did something I hadn't heard of before, and she hired two employees. She needed one, and she figured, well, probably only one of them is going to stay, so I'm going to hire two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Um, over the course of a year, one person left and one person stayed. So that was that was interesting, and that was, um, yeah, that was an interesting decision. Um, but so there's a lot of ways that you can approach this. I think that if I were doing this today, I would, I try to look not just at what money am I going to make, but what's the risk. Mm-hmm. So when you hire an employee, and I live in California, there are all sorts of rules and, and you multiply those by about three in California about how you have to handle employees. So you have to know what those rules are and you have to follow them. And that means all sorts of things, but it's also, that's the legal side. But then there's also what I think of as the ethical side, which is when I hire an employee, especially if they're leaving another job, I have a duty to them to make sure that um, we've had the right conversations, that they are, you know, that we're a good match, that I've laid out a 90-day plan for them to be successful, because it usually takes about 90 days to know, and you'll know. Sometimes you know it faster, but you'll know whether somebody's going to make it or not make it. And that you're going to have this open communication 
right? Because this is your employee. You have some responsibility for them. And then there's the financial piece, which is uh, I'm not going to hire an employee for $50,000 a year, let's say, and only have $20,000 in the bank, right? I need to be able to have some runway so that I know I'm going to be able to afford this person and not suddenly have to fire them because, oh, sorry, didn't get that big project. Don't need you. <laughs> So that's why having contractors first is a really good training ground for having employees. But having said that, there are people who like to start with an administrative employee because they want to build the business. They want to be out selling and doing the work and they want to just outsource anything that isn't that. Mm-hmm. And so their first employee, and it makes sense in those kinds of cases, their first employee is is like an administrative support person. Right. Yeah. The thing that's sort of on my mind, because both of these categories are like, outs- I, I, they're not outside of my experience, but they're outside of my, I would say, expertise. So Preference. <laughs> definitely preference. But the, it's, it's because it's not my preference that I have become less and less. Uh, I just don't think about it ever. So, but I did for a couple of years was the VP of a firm that had W2s, you know, 10 or 15 of them. And, and I, I was the second banana, but still I felt a massive amount of pressure to, you know, develop them, lead, you know, just be, mm-hmm. keep them happy, keep them yeah. from wanting to go somewhere else. Uh, lots of one-on-ones, lots of, uh, you know, sidebars, lots of, um, you know, uh, whatever. I mean, it's just like, it's like a being married to 10 people and, and <laughs> you know, you're worried about 10 mortgages now. Um, but and not that, but I, I know plenty of people who are just like, yeah, no problem. Love that. They're just that way. But the thing that, th- but the reason that I bring it up is because, uh, I've also worked with contractors and there's none of that. So I feel like if you, if you, even if you do have a, you know, um, a virtual virtual agency and you've got like you know five or ten contractors there's a muscle that you have not developed yet which is the care and feeding of employees because yes right so yes that's why i was that's why i was like hmm i wonder if i were going to go in that direction if i would start with if i would just always have full times and i just slowly add them over time or if i would kind of build a, a a team of contractors and maybe hire them as employees or maybe replace them with employees or uh, or like you said have sort of a mix where there's some stuff that you don't usually need it's not core so you you just handle that with contractors from time to time and the core stuff you have employees doing well and i also when i had that business i also had a category inside the um, contractors of people who i wish i could have as employees but they Mm. want to be contractors (laughs) yeah yeah and they were fantastic but they love doing their own thing and they liked working with us as long as it wasn't required right Right. so I'd bring them a project and say hey this is what I think it's going to be are you in because if they were in they would go to the new business meeting with me and you know and they'd they'd always ask like okay who's the client what do you think the project is who would I be working with I mean they ask all those questions and then they're either in or they're not yeah that was me like uh, yeah yeah for a few years that was me like where people would bring me they they had something that they needed my particular uh skill set for and and i would rarely say yes to these but in a couple of occasions i did because i just really liked the people or whatever it was gonna be fun 
and uh, and I didn't have to do the sale, but I did go to the sales meetings. So it wasn't like on me to yeah. write the proposal and price it and all that stuff. It was I was insulated from that, but I was part of the sales process in at least two cases, probably more, maybe three. But um, it, yeah. But that's what you're illustrating is perfect because that's what happens when you're doing this. You have to appeal to those contractors the same way you think about appealing to clients. It's not just like, oh, here's the job. Go do it, buddy. Right. You know, it's this is what it looks like. This is what we could achieve together. What do you think? How do you feel about this? Um, what Do you see any downsides? And sometimes they'll tell you a downside you hadn't seen before because they have more specific knowledge in this area than you do. So... Right. Yeah, and so the point that I was making to uh, the the original asker of this question was, you know, when it comes to building a firm with employees, I think it's a great choice when you want to do and you and you're good at two things, and one is building a sales machine because that's the first thing you have to do is if you're going to have employees, it's the equivalent of baby birds going, give me a worm. <laughs> right, you've got to keep them busy. So that's the first thing. And and if you don't keep them busy, you get worried because you're, you're looking at this outflow of of salary, and there is no income coming in to offset it. So you've got to be really happy and excited about building that sales machine, and mentoring your employees, leading them. Maybe right. leading is a better word because mentoring is part of that. But, and I'm not talking about managing. I mean, that there's that too, but it's really, these days, it's really about leading. And right. if you don't want to do both of those things, then a firm with employees is probably not going to be the right thing. Perfectly said. I, I think those, those two things, that's the litmus test. If neither one of those things sounds good to you, or you're like, oh, I'll outsource that. It's like, no. No. You know, no. No. I mean, once you're big enough, I mean, it, or if you have a partner, you know, sometimes like one partner will be like the back room partner managing mm -hmm. all of the people and they're really good at that and the other one's in the front end. But a lot of right. times what happens with those partnerships is the one out in front is like, wait a minute, I'm bringing all the business. How come we're splitting <laughs> this 50-50? That doesn't seem right. I know. It's like a, it's, it's almost, it feels inevitable. Yeah, yeah, but 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 the other the other part of the question that um, that I, I found so intriguing was um, you know should I build a firm with employees and then sell it? So you know my answer was you know you need to be able to do these two things. But the other is you have to think about your timing when you sell it. So timing is everything. Um, you know when I sold my business, it was absolutely at the top of the market for those kinds of businesses. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't. But I was, you know, through really sheer luck, um, we were able to hit the top of the market. Those deals weren't getting made two or three years later. Um, so it's timing. And so so not only do you have to build this firm that is um, running well, it's successfully selling, but you have to find the person or the company that wants to buy it. So that means, typically means you've got to have a really clear uh, brand. You have to have a really clear um, set of clients. You have to be able to show all of the revenue that you're bringing in and how that flows through the financials. You, and you have to find somebody for whom you are that ideal fit. That's 
can be a challenge, especially if you have a certain time frame in which you have to sell. Like suddenly you, you're you on disability and you're like, okay, I just, I've got to sell it now. Now, if you have employees and you've groomed one, you might be able to sell it to an employee and work out a deal. Right. But if not, it's, it's a process. And so mm. it's not one that is a slam dunk. So, you know, my advice in this case was, Unless you're really going to have fun building that sales machine and you really want to mentor people, you can make money a lot faster in one of the other two models. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are some of the limitations of the other two models, though? So, like, um, what are the obvious ones, I think, at the at the low end, the pros and cons are, are solo, no leverage person. The pros and cons is you, you hit a uh, revenue ceiling very quickly. Yeah. It's all profit. Pretty much, it's it's basically all profit um, minus your salary. You know, we've had this conversation before, yeah. but yeah, um, it's it's the highest profit. Let's put it that way, and but the ceiling is usually pretty quick. You know, so like yeah, because a lot of them are billing by the hour, and even if they have a really high hourly rate and they're in demand, it's still it, that's gonna hourly you're gonna top out in like mid six figures, and that's busy. You know, so. Like if you if you're billing hourly, I mean maybe. Well, and uh, not everybody can get there on hourly too, depending on your skill set. Oh, of course, but yeah. I'm saying high end. Like the I have heard some people sort of throw in my face. Oh, my lawyer makes two thousand dollars an hour and he's booked out. And it's like okay, but you know, I, you're probably if you're charging two thousand dollars an hour, you're not really selling your time. It's clear that your value proposition is so high that the, whoever's hiring you doesn't care what your rate is. It's like they're not even considering it. It's like, how much are we going to have to pay you? Yeah, so, that's an authority positioning. Right, right. It's like a partner at a big New York law firm or something. So um, so that's the downside. It's, it's very quick to start up. Your startup costs are very low. Mm-hmm. Your, your ramp to initial profitability hopefully isn't too long it can be i've seen some people have trouble with it but of course um if you're good at what you do and you're willing to to put yourself out there in sort of an unfavorable position like uh you know like labeling yourself with a an average hourly rate for what you do and deliver great results you can put cheerios in the bowl pretty quickly you know just getting by um but then yeah so it's sort of sort of least startup trouble and cost but yes, risen. lowest cost to entry. You don't have to have a big audience because I think we need to talk about that for the next one. Mm, yeah. Um, and then but the ceiling is pretty low. Yeah. You, you. The only way the ceiling gets lifted is if you get really comfortable with continually raising your price. And and I'm going to use the word leverage in a different way. Leverage mm. yourself in terms of maybe you productize services and you keep escalating the price um, you know, you find a way to to make more with what you're doing, but there's mm-hmm. still a ceiling. Yeah, there's still a ceiling typically. Right. Yeah, right. So you could, you, if you, if well, I'm I'm specifically talking about hourly. So if if you get off of hourly with productized services or you start value pricing projects, the ceiling goes up quite a bit. If you are mm-hmm. really good, if you're uh, sorry, I shouldn't say really good. I should say if you are recognized as the go-to person. So like you've you've done something to attract leads that are that see you as meaningfully different from yeah. your competition. So if yeah. if you if you have done that piece and that is not an overnight thing, then then you can 
use price different pricing structures than hourly to increase the ceiling still i see people you know so so with hourly i would say i usually see people top out around 200 gross revenue around 200 250 gross revenue um with a more leveraged pricing model but still a solo person it's much more common to see four or five hundred grand you know i've seen mm -hmm. people do seven or eight with just themselves no back office nothing um, i've now seen a million i've seen it yeah, yeah it's but it's it's a bit of a unicorn i don't want to like put that out there and go oh yeah everybody can do this no it's 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 a rare duck yeah and uh and then you get into so then then you start as soon as you start throwing product in well no i mean is product i mean okay so in your in your grouping as soon as you add product um your yeah. category two correct even yeah. even if it's a you know a 20 dollar book you're mm -hmm. in category two Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. it changes the game. Yeah, I, I agree. It is a big game changer. As soon as you have even a book, um, no, I can't. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. I, I, yeah, I stand by the numbers I've said so far. That's I'm just trying to think of my experience over the past maybe ten years with with the sort of what what does the bell curve look like for the students I've worked with? It's kind of like that. Um, but then as soon as you get into product, then you can have a real hit. Like you can really have a hit. Um, again, they're, they're rare, but you can see, but you, you see them, you know where they are. It's like, I mean, an extreme example would be like James Clear writing a best-selling book and it's like just him. Yeah. You know, that's extreme. Yeah. Well, I had a client like that. Now I wasn't working with him when he did this, but he had, um, a million and a half advance on a book. Hmm. So that was a really good year. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you have to be able to replicate that success. And there aren't a lot of those deals anymore, right. but you have to find a way to, in this case, it was somebody with multiple books. You have to find a way to monetize those things into a business model that works for you. Mm -hmm. But one of the great things about a book isn't necessarily the, the, revenue from the book itself but it's the visibility and the positioning yep. shift that it gives you and it's that bump and you know we've talked about all the different ways you can use a book but if you're using a book kind of like a business card for this sort of thing it can really be a game changer right yep yeah it, I, there's tons of there's so many examples i don't know if, like april dunford comes to mind um, yeah. Like yeah. the difference between level, the, the for me, the main difference between someone in category one and category two is category one can't have a hit. Category two can have a hit. You see what I mean? So like. Yeah. I was thinking about that as you were saying that. I, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I guess I agree. It's it's yeah. It's like a big. Well, the, the hit in the first one is when you productize some things and you start getting serious about raising your prices and clients don't blink. I should say new clients don't blink. That's the hit in number one. That's probably the best hit you can get is either you're selling on a regular basis, so you're booking yourself pretty full, yep. however you define that, or you what you're doing is so transformative that you can, and you productize it, and you can regularly increase the price. And yep. that's that's your hit. That's your hit. But yeah, but I understand what you're saying. It feels more like a hit in, in the second category. Right, right. So yeah, you don't, you're not, like you can, in the first category, you're by yourself. So it means you're doing delivery by yourself. And, and you know, all of, most of my examples here are in the software space. So the, the hit is you close a huge deal, value, a value price deal for like, I don't know, 750 grand. And it's just one client. It's only going to be, you know, it's just one of your clients. So you're going to have a good year, you know, a really good year. But now you have a, 
if you look at what your schedule is going to look like for that year, you're going to be busy. <laughs> yeah, ugly. So it's, to me, that's why it doesn't really categorize. It's not a hit. It's just like it's it's um, it, it's well, really it's not good. a hit. I want to point this out, though. It's not a hit for you. Because you're looking going, I don't want to work that much. It is a hit for somebody that gets excited by the project and really wants to do it and doesn't care. So that's why that's why this is so important, yeah, is to really understand. Well, I have a client like that who is only happy when his hair's on fire. Okay. Right. And so there are people that are wired that way. And you know that and that's okay. Because you're gonna create those situations no matter what you do. So you might as well get be really well paid for them right <laughs> okay, that's, fair. that's fair yeah yeah right. that's it's just my underlying point in in my answer to to the original question it really does depend on not just like oh i want to make this much money but how do i want to work how do i want to spend my days because hmm. so then our time is valuable right yeah yeah i mean it's a lot to think about it i do think if you can I think that's the most important piece is like, it's like, okay, everybody needs to make money. Everybody wants to make money. Uh, a lot of people want to like imagine retiring and so forth, but it's like, it's like start with like knowing which one of these three is really the one you want to operate in and then find a way yeah. to make it successful. Like, yeah, there's unicorns in all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. And I think that, I think <laughs> I think that, yeah, the second one, which is leverage with um, products or, or people, I just want to make one comment there. There was a great conversation happening in LinkedIn recently about kind of like a, dirt, a dirty little secret, which is if you have a small audience, like if you have a really small email list, um, doing products and memberships, it, it's a long game. Right. Because you've got to build your audience. And, you know, a typical response is like direct mails, one to two percent is a good response. So if you have a hundred people and you sell one or two, that's great if they're, you know, 20 grand a piece. It's not so great if they're 20 bucks a piece. <laughs> right. So it's just really thinking about if that's where you want to go, then you need to strategically spend some time growing your audience. It doesn't mean you can't start now with pro digital products, but it does mean that you you are going to have to grow your audience. So you're going to have to invest some time in doing that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, before it turns into meaningful income. But yeah. then once it does, you're going to have a hit. <laughs> yeah, hit after hit after hit. You're exactly. going to be on the top 40. Exactly. Cool. Should we wrap it there? I think we should. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.